Haskin. Yeah. Hi, I'm Beck. And I'm Paul. And this is DVD Clutter. I feel like we should insert some of the pan flute music. Yes. It's so weird with this movie. I just assumed that there's someone playing the pan flute off camera during every scene. Yeah, that's it. That's how it's a live recorded score. Pan flutes. What movies might people be associated with pan flutes? I don't know. Hopefully. Hopefully they can guess because they've read the description for the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. It is a spooky one though. It's very very creepy. The Mm. music is amazing. Obviously, as we'll talk talk about shortly but we're talking about picnic at hanging rock yes and more broadly i guess we're talking about dvds and getting rid of them that's it dvd clutter the podcast all about those things that are in the title what we do every week is we watch a film that we have on dvd and then we decide whether we want to keep it donate it or leave it at hanging rock to be maybe abducted by aliens yeah or go into a time portal thing or be murdered by some blokes yeah Either or. Whatever. Who knows? Um, this week we've decided to do Picnic in the Hanging Rock, and believe it or not, it's a DVD we both have. It is a DVD we both have. It's almost like both of us did a course in screen studies in Australia. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> do you think that's where... Because I actually can't remember where I got mine. I've got a little bit of a memory about when I first watched it and that kind of thing, but I can't remember buying the DVD. Me too. I remember buying the DVD. So, oh, yeah. yeah, we can talk about that when it comes up. Like we do every episode... We start with how the DVD came into whoever owns it life. But because we both owned it, I guess we both get to tell our story. What a time. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure. Great. Um, well, I actually wanted to do this movie because it's been summer here in Australia. Oh, yeah. Um, it's been super hot and we have been on holidays. Paul and I just went back to work this last week. Mm-hmm. So if, we, if you can feel the tiredness in our voices, that's from dealing with students. <laughs> Wait, with the joy, I meant. Yeah, the joy in our voice. <laughs> but over the summer, I spent a lot of time bike riding. Lovely. A lot of time on my brand spanking new mountain bike. Ooh, la la. And we were up in the region near Hanging Rock at a place called Harcourt, which is close to Mount Macedon or just past Mount Macedon and past Hanging Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so dry and the crickets were so loud and it just was all the sounds and all the feels of summer. And I just feel like this film captures the Australian summer so beautifully mm-hmm. um, through mostly as when I rewatched it, I was like, I think it's the crickets is the key. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the cicadas, sorry. The, the cicadas. Well, that's it. The soundscape. Really. The soundscape. Yeah. Um, Which is a so highlight well. for me of the whole film. Yeah. Yeah, and like the shots as well, the shots of the flying birds and the broad sky and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it really reminded me of the summer in Australia, and so I wanted to do it as one of our first ones back. It was going to be one of our first, our very first episode back, but we got distracted by Buffy and also mm. having our special guest, we had to make very special arrangements. That's it. I'm not blaming Rose, <laughs> but, you know. I will. Okay. <laughs> So... You love this film. I love this film. I love this film. That might be a bit of a spoiler. But I love this film so much. It's one of my all-time favourite films. I think I watched it for the very first time at the Bragalong Film Festival. Okay. (laughs) Tell us about that. Well, obviously you've heard of... Oh, yeah. But for the listener. (laughs) For the listener. Um, So there was a... I grew up in a very, very tiny country town outside of about three hours east of Melbourne called Bragalong mm-hmm. in Gippsland. And we had a... There was like a regional travelling film festival. Okay. Yeah. So they came around to all different regional areas and Bragalong happened to be chosen as one, which is odd because you would think they would go to Sale, which is the big kind of town the nearby. Smoke. The big smoke. yeah. But they chose to come to Bragalong. Very, very tiny, about 500 people. I should look that up. I'm sure the population has changed. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can fact check me, guys, if you need to. So they came there and I submitted two films. I won with one of my films. I have won I seen the... these films? I don't know. I don't think you have. Is that the one with the cake? Oh, have army, the army dudes one. Yeah. That one, I did submit that one, but I don't think that one won. Oh, but I think it sorry. got like a special mention. That's <laughs> yeah. fine. I prefer that one. The other one good. was much more traditional storytelling. Yeah. The other one was just a, about a teenage girl and love interests and that kind of stuff. Not just, it, that's what it was about. <laughs> I guess I, I was... <laughs> what? Actually, <laughs> I was a teenage girl at the time. 
But I actually like my army dudes one better. I think it's a bit more weird. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I think it's better for that. Maybe we'll do that in an episode. <laughs> I do have it on DVD. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I think they, as one of their... So they had the competition, the film competitions, but they also had the screenings. And one of the films they screened was Picnic at Hanging Rock. And I think that's the first time I watched it. And I was obviously pretty blown away just from the sound and some of the cinematography and just the story as a whole. I think I had read the book as mm-hmm. a kid before I watched the film. So I knew of the like legend of Picnic at Hanging Rock in quotation marks. Sorry, I mm. forgot this was a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the legend in quotation marks of Picnic at Hanging Rock. And the I always loved that kind of, I don't know, ethereal. ethereal did I get that right? Ethereal. Yeah, I think so. That like ghostly, haunting kind of. I just love that stuff anyway. And this film is just all about that. So I fell in love with it. And then... I've just kept it. I guess I bought it on DVD sometime after that. Maybe I... I don't think I studied it at film school. Wow. Did you? Yeah. As part of what? Monash. Yeah, no, but what what subject do you remember? Uh, Maybe Australian cinema, actually. Because I don't think I did Australian cinema. I did Australian Mm. television. Yeah. Not Australian cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, it was definitely Australian cinema. yeah. 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 But one of my, like, most recent memories about Picnic and Hanging Rock is trying to show it to my year 9, 10 class <laughs> at Ararat. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know why I thought... I just I just love this film and I think I find it so engaging because I just am able to kind of get into, like really buy into the story and I'm just so into it. But, you know, as I was wandering around the room trying to keep kids quiet, mm. I realised actually this from the outside could seem quite boring. If you don't yeah. buy into it. You really need to buy in and be in the right atmosphere yes to watch it you can't be distracted either i feel like mm. you need to have the the, the quintessential or like the best way of watching this film is to have a really dark room hopefully a big screen mm. surround sound Apparently there's some sort of building <laughs> that they made with yeah uh, yeah but they're not showing this no, <laughs> no. they should be on the regular i know um, but yes like you need to have get a cinema in your house when mm. you move houses yeah. As you inevitably will. Yes. Can you please build a cinema? Definitely. Thank you. It's the number one thing we want. <laughs> okay, good. Because no I feel laundry. Like no laundry. Just cinema. <laughs> just a cinema. I feel like it's just so good. With the music, you know, all around you, you're all encompassed. It's just like a big hug of creepiness. Mm. Yeah. That's perfect. It's mm. a big hug of creepiness. Yeah. That's Thanks. exactly what this film and is. very eloquent. Do you want to tell us how you... Yeah, my earliest memories of it is mum telling us sort of the story of picking Hanging Rock and yeah. not... When we went to go to Hanging Rock, yeah. just, you know, for... A, a picnic? Maybe a picnic. No, Probably. I think it was just, just a walk. Just a we drive there some snacks, I don't know. Yeah. No, we used to go for, you know, lots of walks as kids and went to Hanging Rock and mum sort of told us the story and I didn't realise whether it was... I thought it was... True. True. So did I. And yeah. this is part of the mythology yeah. of this story which we'll talk about i guess a bit later as well but part of part of the um the pull is this idea of whether or not this is a true story or not and i, I remember mum telling me the story before we were going there and then when she was getting there just classic gags sort of walking out from behind something and being like oh hi my name's miranda i went missing <laughs> <laughs> have you seen my yeah. classmates yeah that's it um and i remember being told the story it's sort of like in a way that when you're told like a good i guess ghost story or um we don't have campfire stories in australia it's a very sort of i feel american sort of thing but we Wait, I don't, what don't we what about like sleepover stories yeah Did that's, you ever like, do that? yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. you just one turn of those all the lights that, off and you've got the torch underneath your head yeah yeah um one of those stories that sticks with you and then i remember first seeing it just on commercial television oh okay would have been you know one of the big three ones. Cause I remember running to the kitchen to tell mum what had just sort of happened and because, you know, she knew and liked the movie. Why, why couldn't she sit down and watch it? She was probably doing the dishes. Yeah, uh, yeah that's it. Um, oh. Yes. Well, I don't know if she was keen on watching it at that exact time. Yeah. You do have to be, like, able to sit mm. down and engage. But I definitely remember the, Miranda, where are you going? Miranda! bit and being like whoa okay don't feel too comfortable about this anymore <laughs> like you're starting to get freaked out yeah yeah um and then don't know if i watched it again until uni yeah and watched this 
as part of Australian studies. Yeah. And remember writing an essay on it. Oh, cool. Um, on it and the film Lucky Miles, which we'll do eventually. I've got it on DVD. Um, so we'll have to do it. But it was looking at landscape and the role it plays oh. in cinema, specifically our national cinema. Yeah. And I remember classic Paul Harris, as it was back then, move. <laughs> it was about 3 a.m. and I was writing the essay. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, back then. Yeah. <laughs> come on. We just finished our studies, like, what, two years ago? We were but still like that. I was like, oh, I just better rewatch the couple of scenes because I wanted to sort of do a bit of a breakdown and just scaring myself stupid sitting in my college room. Because <laughs> <laughs> the landscape shots in this are the eeriest, I oh, think. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's when it, that's a, that's when the film gets the most atmospheric, when the music gets the most the pan flute, the pan flute, <laughs> but even and just the, the organ, soundscape, like yeah, the, yeah. So they're my strong memories with it. I was talking to my wife about it as well, and she has a very strong memory of watching it at college. Yeah, and being with really you? no watching oh. it with a friend at college, and then being really scared and having to watch episodes of New Girl to they all felt comfortable <laughs> enough to go back to sleep. But it is it it's re, it's not. Scary is the wrong word. Yeah, it is the wrong word. It is just so atmospheric. It's haunting. Haunting. Mm. It just pulls it off so well. It does. And I think it's one of those ones, like one of the main things that I guess I look for in a film or in any film that I'm going to love is something that I'm going to continue to come back and think about in the days following watching it. Mm -hmm. And this is 100% one of those films. Oh, yeah. You can't just forget about it after you've seen it. Yeah, it captures the Irish note so well, but it also captures what it feels like to be in in Australia, mm-hmm. in in I guess a bush, a bush setting. No, oh, no, just even just when just you the... when you go for a walk in the bush, like yeah. we lived up near Hole's Gap, and you see yeah. that exact feeling of when you can't hear anyone else, and you're walking around in the rocks, and you're yeah. just like, there's something something could, weird. We could be the only people in the world. It, that's something it. like that. This <laughs> and yeah, it's something, and it's something that has influenced Australian cinema, and I think this movie it sort of encapsulates everything about that and we can talk about that later yeah but um before we do that one of us should break down the plot of oh, yeah. peter weir's film picnic in the rock as it says right at the start it doesn't say peter weir yeah or a peter weir film it says peter weir's film oh with the apostrophe s which i thought was a do you know maybe why can i tell you why no tell me Hot. <laughs> because apparently uh, an eight-year-old child asked Joan Lindsay, who wrote the book, if he could make a film out of it. Mm. And he started, and he got, like, a couple minutes in to filming it. Mm-mm. And then Peter Weir, like, took over. So maybe he was just being really... Maybe he's just being really possessive. Yeah. He's like, this is not the Johnny Eight-year-old. whatever. Yeah. This is Peter Weir's <laughs> film. Peter Weir's film, man. Mm. Um, but apparently that... Because neither of us have the special edition. We just have... Like, my DVD just has Picnic at Hanging Rock and the trailer for Picnic at Hanging Rock. Same here. And but apparently on some of the special editions, they have this short film oh, that wow. this kid started to make. That is old. Yeah, I know. What have we done with our lives? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, plot. Plot. Do you want me to break it down? Sure. I can chime in. So, in the 1800s, yep. there is an uh, all-girls boarding school yep. who are going for a picnic. Yes. Hanging Rock. Yeah. Um, Apple, Mrs. Apple Yards. Is that her name? Apple Yard? Apple Bye? Apple Day? Mrs. Apple Yards College. I got it right. Apple Great. Yard, though. Like, when I said Apple Yard, I thought that was funny. Sounds, it's sounds like ridiculous, doesn't Yard. it? Yeah. So, Mrs. Apple Yards Private Girls School near Woodend. So, it's about an hour from Melbourne. Mm. And, yeah, you're basically throwing in... They're about to go for a picnic. Yeah. So it's Valentine's Day picnic. So the opening sequence is them all like opening Valentine's Day cards from each other, essentially. Yeah. It's like a group of about 16 girls. You find out one girl, Sarah, isn't allowed to go. Yeah. And one teacher also is sort of being... Yes. So Sarah is the student that stays behind. She is. And she, we find out she has, she has an infatuation with another student called Miranda because Miranda says to her, you've got to try and love someone other than me. I'm about to leave. I'm not going to be here forever. Yeah. Yeah. So... Off they go. All these 16 girls, one of their teachers. Um, Two teachers. Oh, yes. One of them is called, she's French and she's called De Poit- Madame de Portier. Yeah, that's it. Madame de Portier. Or Mademoiselle de Portier, because I don't think she's married. Oh, I yes. Don't know. I don't know. And Miss Lumley? Lumley? Uh, no. No. Miss McCaw. Miss McCaw, Miss yeah. Miss Yeah, Miss Greta McCraw. Miss Greta McCraw. Miss Greta McCraw, they go off on. A coach uh, with the coach driver, who also has a name. Mr. Hussey. Mr. Hussey, that's it. And off they go to Hanging Rock 
things seem great. Yep. They're hanging out there. They get to take their gloves off because it's a hot day. So as mm-hmm. soon as they pass wood in, they get to take their gloves off. They're very excited. But then start things start getting a bit weird. Mm-hmm. For example, all the watches stop at yes. exactly 12 o'clock. Exactly 12 o'clock. And people seem to be sort of drawn to the hanging rock. Yes. Including these three girls who decide to go take some measurements. They do have to write an essay on the rock when they get back. Yes. So they ask their teacher, can I go? She says, yeah, I guess. Yeah. You know. So off they go. And then one, there's four girls. Yes. Another girl says, oh, can I come with you? Edith. Edith, who's a bit of a dweeb. Yeah, she doesn't look as gorgeous as the other ones. She's made out to be a bit more dorky, I guess. She wears glasses and she she hasn't taken her gloves off, even though they've been told they're allowed to. Yes. And whenever they always emphasize that she's dumpy, in quotation marks. (laughs) They, they call her the dumpy one. Yes. And whenever there's a long lingering shot of all these beautiful girls in white gowns lying around in the sun, then it like pans onto Edith and she's shoving food in her <laughs> mouth. Yeah. Very tasteless. Mm. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, they go for a walk up Hanging Rock. While they're walking there, they get spotted by uh, some other people who are hanging out at Hanging Rock. A young, I guess, aristocrat yeah. kind of guy. His name, of course, Michael. is Michael. And his driver, John Jarrett. <laughs> Whose name is <laughs> In the Albert. movie, is called Albert. And they're there with Michael's aunt and uncle, who are, he's a colonel. Mm. And so they're quite wealthy. They're just gone for a random picnic as well, I guess. They're yeah. basically just sitting around in the heat doing nothing. And um, Albert especially is sort of commenting on all the schoolgirls in a creepy way. Yeah. But Michael follows them a little bit. Yeah, so Michael like hops up. They're like watching them jump across this river. Then Michael is like, oh, I'm just going to go for a walk. He hops up and then Albert sees him following the girls. So then they keep going up and up the mountain and the film, because nothing really happens, but the film takes on a very mysterious, eerie tone. Mm. And music gets more um, dramatic. Yeah, and the girls start saying sort of some kind of kooky things like, Everything begins and ends just at the, just at the right, right time. time. <laughs> um, look at all those people down there. You know, they don't even know. They're just like ants. And they keep going up the mountain, keep going up the mountain. Um, rock? Do we call it a mountain? Yeah, oh, yeah. sorry, up the rock. Yeah. Up the rock. Um, until they all pass out sort of yeah. from the heat. Yeah. And then suddenly they wake up and three of them... They just hop up and start walking through a crevasse. Mm-hmm. And Edith, the one left behind... Is watching them yeah. and is going, what are you doing? And yells out to them, but they don't hear her. And then she screams. Screams so, so loud. Obviously afraid and runs back. And just runs down the hill with arms flailing. Ah! Now, while that's happened... Wait, can I just pause oh, no, for a second? Yeah. We forgot to mention that they took off their shoes and stockings as well. And they were kind of doing these weird dances around the rock mm. as well. Yeah, kind so, of pagan-esque. Sort yes. Of. Yep. As they walked through this last crevice, a crevasse is like down, right? So they didn't go yeah. into a crevasse. That would no. be like they fell down a crevasse. There's a they gap went, in the rocks. We're talking a about a crevice. gap in the rocks. They went through a crevasse. Yeah, as they walked off for their final time, when Edith, Edith was like, no, Miranda, Miranda. 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 They didn't have shoes on. No. Uh, so she runs down. Now, while this has happened, Miss um, McGraw has also decided to go out for a walk. We sort of see one shot of her standing up. Standing up. Everyone else is asleep. Yeah. All the ladies, Mr. Hussey, um, Ma- um, Mamzelle, they're all asleep. So, cut to, it's night time. Miss- Mrs. Appleyard is sitting there at the boarding house being like, what's going on? And She in- expected them back at eight. They're not yeah. back. She's getting stressed. In comes the ca- uh, carriage and she's like, huh, okay, thank goodness. Then out comes the teacher and she's very distraught. Yeah. And then all the girls are very distraught. Yeah. And they find out from the coach driver, the only one who's sort of like able to speak about it, that three girls have gone missing and one teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So Miranda, Irma. And of course, Marion. Marion. So Miranda, Irma and Marion have gone missing and Miss McCraw as well has Mm -hmm. disappeared. And for the rest of the, well, for a big chunk of the film from that point onwards, it's sort of how the town reacts reacts and sort of slowly rots and breaks down because of this mystery that can't be solved and there's sort of talk of, Surely no one could have done anything to them. This yeah. isn't that kind of place. It can't be someone from our town. It has to be an outsider. But what has happened? Yeah. Um, William is distraught about it and goes... Michael? Mike, who's, I was like, who's William? Michael is distraught about it and convinces Albert for them to go hunting for the girls. And then he goes into that same gap in the rocks and is found shell-shocked by Albert. Yeah, so Albert comes and finds him the next day and mm. it's like one of those great horror shots where it like zooms in on him and it's like... Mm. 
vibration. Uh, Michael comes down, he opens his hand and he's got a bit of dress yep. in it. So Albert runs back up and finds one of the girls, finds Irma. Irma. And she's still alive. He thinks that she's dead. He's like, oh my God, is she dead? Whatever. He's freaking out that he's found her, but turns out she's alive. Yep. She goes to the colonel's house to convalesce. All the while, Mrs. Apple... Um, yeah. Yard is, is falling apart. This yeah. has really uh, affected her. You find out that the, the school's not in a great financial way as well, mm-hmm. and this is going to ruin her. The students are pulling out for next term. And because of this, she kind of, I guess, obsesses with this one girl, Sarah, who hasn't paid her fees yeah. and really hones in on her and is quite mean brutal, to, brutal yeah. to her. And we find out that Sarah was an orphan and she's been, she's a ward, I guess she's got someone who's a guardian, guardian, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was paying her fees, but he hadn't for the past little while. And so in the end, Mrs. Appleyard says to her, you're going to have to go back to the orphanage. You can't stay here. And Sarah is obviously very affected by that. She's already been very affected by um, Miranda's disappearance because she Mm -hmm. had this infatuation with Miranda. She obviously has some mental health issues there, like ongoing um, probably from abuse that is hinted at from the um, some trauma from being at the orphanage where she was yeah. abused. And uh, yeah, and also recovering from losing her brother at the orphanage, they were split up. Yeah. We find out later that her brother is Albert. Yes. So they're very close to each other, but never actually. Yes. Never meet. Meet. So Sarah takes her own life. Yeah. Or so Sarah is found. Yeah. So we having... don't really see this happening, but Mamzelle comes in to Mrs. Appleyard and says, "Oh, I need to take some food up to Sarah." And Mrs. Appleyard says, "Oh no, she's left this morning. She's gone home. Her guardian came to collect her. Um, I packed some things with her for her. Blah blah blah." And Mamzelle thinks that's very strange, but she's like, "Okay, whatever." All the ladies. This is like at the end of the term, I guess. The rest of the ladies head off to go home for the term break. And then the gardener finds Sarah's body um, in the greenhouse. In the greenhouse, having thrown herself off the roof. Or you know, something's happened to her. <gasps> you think she was pushed? Uh, you don't. You don't know. I think that's the ambiguity. I thought it was definitely suicide. Yeah, or something calling to her. Oh, supernatural. Do you think? I think she was doomed. And I, I think this is something that we'll debate later on. The ambiguity of this film's the thing that makes it so great. Mm. That's and, why you keep thinking about it afterwards. Yeah, and though you feel like a presence of the supernatural, nothing is explicitly no. said yep. or seen. Yeah. And then the dialogue is just so excellent too. That line you just sort of dropped before, she's doomed. Yeah. But what does it mean to be doomed? Yeah. You know, it's just... Yeah. And then what does she... What's her answer? Doomed to die, of course. Doomed to die, of course. And then Edith is like, I think I oh. must be doomed. Yes, that's it. <laughs> and is she? Who is doomed? Who isn't doomed? It's, it's great. So this happens and then we get this really haunting shot of Mrs. Appleby sitting at her desk in a funeral garb with all her bags packed. And we think she knew that Mm. girl was dead. Oh yes. And then we get a voiceover saying... Well we've missed a little bit. So Irma, when Irma comes back after her um, convalescence and she's Mm. kind of recovered and she's going to go home but she gets to come and see her classmates one last time before she goes and instead of being overjoyed as um, Mamzelle brings her in to where the girls are and she thinks they're going to be overjoyed to see her and it's going to be happy but all the girls kind of attack her yelling at her like where are they where are the others what happened blah blah Mm. blah and almost start beating her and like pulling out her hair it's this very violent scene yeah and it's a very it's a scene again where you don't know if you're slipping into what she what she thinks is happening or what is happening yeah or you don't know or it's like just that, yeah, otherworldly, like oh, something effort. something else is happening here. Mm. Something else is driving these girls to do this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she leaves. But then also then then the shot, this is, I loved one, I love this shot as well, when she pans, the um, camera like just pans around and we see Sarah strapped up in a... Um, posture yeah, device. Yeah, and the teacher in charge is like, oh, it's for her posture, I promise. And yeah. Mamzelle, who's the nice teacher, I guess, she's like the one that you're encouraged to identify with. She's the one who all the girls love the most. She's really shocked that Sarah's being physically restrained like this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's Mrs. Lumley or Ms. Lumley. Yeah, that's it. And yeah. she resigns after that because she's just obviously been going down a, da- a dark path in terms of her corporal punishment. And I think she's recognize that but also what drove her to do that i don't know that's just it and the thing the film does it gives you these tiny little glimpses below the surface but never lets you actually delve into it is it without without making it feel like that they're cheating it because you know i feel like some films especially within the horror genre like we're gonna keep things mysterious be like no you're not yeah you're just being shit like (laughs) yeah yeah anyway um so we end with this voiceover finding out that Mrs. Appleby um, was found. Mrs. Appleby. Mrs. Mrs. Appleyard. <laughs> was found dead at Hanging at Rock. At Hanging Rock. Having fallen, again in quotation marks, mm. from 
the rock itself. Um, yeah, so creepy end to a creepy story. And I guess the the narration at the start, or no, there, there's not narration. Is it isn't title there card? a title? Yeah, yeah, title card. The title card at the start and at the end, are almost like a news, news broadcast. Report. Yeah, so they're very. It's very much playing into as was the book. Joan Lindsay's book playing into this idea of uh, fake versus fiction, oh, fake versus fiction, fiction versus reality. And I think that she just knew she, and I think her publicist had a lot to do with it as well. Not a publicist, her editor had a lot to do with it as well. Um, her editor really encouraged her to, I guess, play up that, that um, ambiguity that mm-hmm. you talk about. Because in the book as well, she actually wrote a final chapter, which, which came out later, which did come out yeah. later. And it had, um, it was very explicit about what actually happened to the girls and it talked about a time warp. Rip. Yeah, yeah a, a rip in the time, space-time continuum, I don't know. Mm. But, like, yeah, like a they went through, essentially they go through this portal to another world and that's why it's all about time and that's why the, the clocks have stopped and all this kind of thing. And the editor, so Joan Lindsay's editor, was like, you got to leave that out. And then I think, yeah, I, think, I don't think this book or this film would have been what it is with that final chapter in there. No. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. So that was great choice. <laughs> yeah. Really good choice. And also, yeah. I do like that it was eventually released too. Sort of like, so you oh, do yeah, have that so option eventually, to, yeah. yeah. But I feel like it's been enough time and the the mystery of the Picnic at Hanging Rock has been around for enough time that that was embedded. Like, it's not like when you think of Picnic at Hanging Rock, you definitely don't think of that final chapter. No, I didn't no, even no, know no, it no. existed until yeah. I did the Googling. So it's, yeah, they released it enough time away from when it was actually, when the film was made and when the book was released. So I guess that's the plot. That's all of it. Yeah. Can I just put, can I just say something else? Yeah, sure. Just about while I'm on this truth. Yeah, sure. Truth versus fiction rant. So in the foreword of the book, she actually had this little paragraph that says... Whether Picnic at Hanging Rock is fact or fiction, my readers must decide for themselves. As the fateful picnic took place in the year 1900, we said 1800, whoops, 1900, and all the characters who appear in this book are long since dead, it hardly seems important. Mm. So she's like, doesn't matter if it's true or false. Yeah. Here's a good story. But also I think that, you know, and she never really wanted to answer. She's There's other interviews in which she really tries to deliberately avoid the question of whether it's true or false. Another one she says is, well, it was written as a mystery and it remains a mystery. If you can draw your own conclusions, that's fine, but I don't think that it matters. I wrote the book as sort of an atmosphere of a place and it was like dropping a stone into water. I felt that the story, if you can call it a story, that the thing that happened on St. Valentine's Day went out on spreading, whoops, went on spreading out and out in circles. And that's exactly what we see in the film as well. Yeah, just that ripple effect of how this this one tragedy affects everybody else in the community. Mm, That sort of Um, rot that happens. Yeah. And it's just so excellent. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant story to be based on. I think brilliant adaptation for screen. 100%. They could have done a terrible job, but I feel like it really... She talks about it being something about an atmosphere of place and... The film just totally is true to that. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just a shout out, Cliff Green was the screenwriter for this, so shout out to him. Um, obviously very influenced, of course, by the direction by Peter Weir. Yeah. Um, so, you Team know, effort. Team effort there. And um, the, who did the sound? And the sound, that's a really good one to know. So the title music was um, using a Romanian pan flute. <laughs> dude who i guess was like real famous for it so his name is george zamfia i'm sure i'm pronouncing that wrong because it's not spelled george in the anglo way um and a swiss-born marcel cilia on the organ and the Mm. organ the the organ is also a big feature of this atmosphere and again like i said last week that the organ was giving me the phantom vibes in buffy and again i had such phantom vibes in this um, actually, when was Phantom made? You know, nineteen eighty. Oh, so before? No, after. <laughs> <laughs> so I did think maybe it could have been a little, yeah. a little inspo, maybe. I think that sort of like sort of gothic influence it's, was yeah. getting really popular at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then also the rest of the music was um, composed by Bruce Smeaton. So he provided several original compositions, like the Ascent music and The Rock. Mm. Not Dwayne Johnson, obviously. Not yeah. Yeah, but yeah, a great team put together a great film. I guess now's normally the part where we talk about our our review of the film. I mm. think it's pretty obvious both of us still think it's 
an incredibly excellent mm, film. Mm. Landmark in a lot of ways in Australian cinema. It was sort of, our, I guess, a very much growing up point. It sort of marked almost the end of the exploitation sort of stuff, um, and people starting to really grow up and make cinema. Well, they, they talk about it as being one of the first in the Australian New Wave. Yeah. So, like, the influenced by French New Wave and the Italian neorealism. Uh, um, it went to Cannes as well, which was yeah. a, a big deal yeah. for an Australian, Australian film. film to yeah. go. Peter Weir had sort of come through that um, grungy phase. Really only big film he'd done before this was uh, The Cars That Ate Paris, which was like a rough guts car movie. Right jumped onto this which was a lot softer but still had that very harsh tone to it It, you know that very off-putting thing and then of course went on to be one of our most well-known internationally directors people that don't know he went on Truman Show Witness uh, Master and Commander nominated for the Academy Award and such you know he's big does the big stuff now yeah Yeah. Um, not stuff for a while but I kind of feel like he's you know done enough to yeah he's he's cemented his place (laughs) Yeah. yeah so yeah very important as well. I think also a lot of themes that have been brought through in Australian cinema started to take seriously too. Like, you know, why are we obsessed with this landscape? Mm. And it was actually putting that through a critical lens. Mm. And why is it so off-putting? And off-putting? Do you well, think the landscape is off-putting? Not off-putting, but sort of jarring and unsettling. Or maybe I think it's just it's intimidating. Th- that's a great word for it. Yeah. But I think this film captures a lot of what Australian cinema is about and it's about feeling uncomfortable about our identity about but it's so i who guess we that's the anglo perspective oh, yeah. like that's totally a colonial that's it i guess know, we I'm... don't this isn't our land maybe no. like maybe that's part of it's something that's still explored in cinema today and you can't sort of even thinking back to our other australian film that we've done this podcast the mule yeah the space and the landscape is very much used to make or you feel same with um, uncomfortable same with holy smoke yeah yeah I think all Australian film, whether you go from sort of... I struggle to actually call the mule comedy anymore. I kind of thought it would be. (laughs) To something like Holy Smoke that I guess isn't either. This whole idea of space, need for space, but also the scariness of space and nature around us is is, is Australian cinema more so than any other definition. Yeah. Um, Well, that's what that course I did on it said. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Monash. (laughs) Yeah. I actually found a whole bunch of my old essays... Oh, brilliant. from film school the other day and I was reading through them and I was like, man, I was smart once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're actually using your brain in that really like analytical way on a daily basis. Mm. Um, yeah, I was really hoping I did a quick search through my computer, but I think it was a couple of computers ago oh, to find my find essay, essay on this one. Oh my God, that would have been so good. Um, but If you find it, I'll put it up on the Facebook. Yeah. People can read it. <laughs> That's it, hopefully. <laughs> but you look, it's, it's an important film. Apparently from interviews... I've heard around it. Peter Weir might be not the best guy to hang out with. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Like, fuck, what man is? Sorry. Well, oh, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> um, I guess less in a creepy sort of way, but also, but thinks he's pretty good. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> sort of sense. But he does yeah. also make some pretty good films. Yeah. So Maybe he didn't think he was good at this stage because it was early in his career. Mm. Maybe he's like got, his ego's gotten bigger as yeah. his budget gets bigger. I imagine going from like... The cars at Paris to this going to car, and you yes. can imagine being like, "Yeah, you know what, guys? I made it. <laughs> I am Australian I've cinema." Done it. Yeah. Um, um, do you have yeah. any notes to go through? Because I've got a couple things I think to talk about. Oh, I yeah, kind of just wanted to talk about what I've covered really a bit here: the, the production of it, how important yeah. it was. It also won a BAFTA, which yeah. is a pretty big deal for an Australian film. Yeah, um, even, even now, now. still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say at the time, it didn't win any of the Australian Industry Awards. They were called AFIs back then. It was nominated for all of them, but lost out. So, But yeah, really had international attention on Australian cinema, Yeah, which is cool. I think the other things that I just had to... I, I just, like, I felt like... I think talking to you about it when we lived in Ararat, when I showed it to the kids, and we had a bit of a discussion about it then, and you kind of said to me that it, it is a horror movie, and The Rock is the monster, in quotation hmm. marks. And I think that really changed my perspective because I had always loved it for the atmosphere and the haunting vibe and all that stuff. But then watching it this time, I could just see a lot more of what you meant by that. And just like, you know, some of the shots of The Rock that are really creating it as the antagonist in quotation marks. Yeah, but not in a cheesy way. It's so hard to describe. Hopefully everyone has, because we mentioned it last podcast to go watch it and hopefully people have seen it before. But... Yeah, if you say, like, oh, they put up a rock and it's so spooky, yeah. you're like, oh. <laughs> um, 
but there's just so many little things like like the plant that moves the plant that you know there's this bit where it's just a random kind of segue cutaway section where there's one of the groundsmen is talking to the gardener in the greenhouse and he's talking about oh didn't you know that some plants he's he kind of knows that nature is creepy and nature is alive and nature yeah. is dangerous and he and the other guy's saying like but i wonder what happened to those girls it must have been like a murder or, and this other this older gardener is like oh you know, i don't know you know didn't you know that some flower, uh, some plants can move? And then he shows him this plant and he runs his finger down the kind of the spine of the plant and all of the fern leaves curl up. Yeah. And it's little moments like that. That's it. I'm so glad you brought up that scene because yeah. that's one I actually did want to talk about. Yeah. It's the way that the film does, I guess, mention all these things that it brings in with all its themes, sort of the power of nature and the, yeah. the, the, um, the aggressive Australian landscape, but never sort of... It explicitly says it without explicitly saying it. That yes. scene is just so beautiful in yes. what it does. Yeah, and it's something that comes up, again, all across Australian cinema. This Watching this film now, again, reminds me so much of one that we will do later as well called Long Weekend, which is sort of about this couple that go off camping and slowly go insane because the nature's getting at them, but it's not as corny as that. Right, yeah. And um, also, obviously, you can see influences from the past, but you can see how much this has influenced film going forward and... You can't, I guess, disguise the fact that without Picnic and Hanging Rock, there's no way that would have Wolf Creek. Yeah. They're just so interconnected yeah. from the hokey sort of, oh, look, my watch has stopped at the yeah. start of Wolf Creek. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we get you. Um, to even just the way that, yeah, what is out there. Yeah. Um, and that Australia's not safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, why isn't it not safe? Is it? It's because... I mean, are we supposed to be? It's like, funny you know, though, it's, because it's, I feel it's asking like we are, we're safer than other countries. Really, like logically yeah, we're safer it. than a lot of other countries yeah but it can feel when you let your imagination go and i remember doing like you know when you're camping or we have a holiday house that's almost like camping where there's no electricity and the toilets uh drop dunny and it's like you know a little way away from the house and just walking in the dark by yourself to go to the toilet at night in the bush if you let your imagination go that is a fucking creepy experience mm. But I think it's With just... With the wind in the trees and, like, the noises and... It, it is. And it's something that this film and so many other Australian films capture so well. It's that unease of being here, which I think unease is part of our natu- national identity, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, not really sure where we're going or what we've done or For some of us, some why. of us, we just blindly go egotistically, yes. mani- maniacally, maniacally. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think that the broader discussion, yeah, is... That, yeah, an uneasiness and unsettled nature. It's interesting to think, like, I mean, we are coming at this from such a Eurocentric lens, I guess, both being very white. Yeah. Oh, yes. So incredibly white. So white. (laughs) And, you know, just doing a little bit of reading about it in the lead up to the, to to recording, there's been a little bit of, I don't know, I guess, conversation around the area about all this tourism about Miranda and, well, Hickney Hanging Rock and how that draws people to the place and how that's like the overwhelming story that we associate with With Hanging Hanging Rock, Rock, whereas there would have been, or there is, I know, like, you know, a rich Indigenous history in that area. Yeah. with their own stories and mythology about the rock, um, which has been completely wiped out, I guess, by this film and mm. book, which yeah, that's, yeah. that, that is a, yeah, an important thing. Yeah. And again, another great allegory for, for, I guess, Australia's history in the, of like taking ownership taking through, <laughs> yeah. Through, you know, I guess, and yeah, well, that's it. And, you know, this and... place has so much historical, um, you know, that when people say it's got so much historical power and you're like, well, does it? It's an old building and it's a, yeah. not really, really an old <laughs> yeah. building. Like, yeah. what, why people haven't been here very long. When yeah. we say something's historical, it's yeah. only like 100 years or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Which is maybe why the, the rock itself is so powerful because it hasn't been, it's been there for like fucking yeah. Mrs. McCraw says it in the movie, but I've forgotten how old it is. But I'm sure it's five million years, <laughs> I think, isn't it? And then the, the mountains are three hundred million. Yeah, years. Yeah, like it's something yeah. ridiculous. Her monologues are great. Yeah, <laughs> they're just so good. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, I just 
There's something about um, something about women, young women in white dresses. Because the final episode of Buffy, she's in a white gown as she walks down to her death as well. She's doomed as mm. well. Like there's something so um, classically romantic. And I guess that's, I don't know, like where does that come from? I don't know. Like the virginal. That's it. it it's, I guess it's a sign of purity um, that's sort of been drilled into our brains yeah. as well. And then even the way that they talk about this in the movie, it's the, the degradation that's gone on is the, oh, the, the, the dress has been muddied or yeah, she had yeah. scratches on her hands. Yeah. She took off her shoes. We can't find her corset. Oh, yeah, they didn't it's wear sort their corsets. Of, yeah, yeah it's, it's corsets. sort of pulling at the, the loose threads of sort of that perfect image of innocence. Yeah. But also a big focus on they haven't been molested. No. By... Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's some really strange shots where Mrs. Appleyard is talking to the doctor and uh, she asks if... Like if Edith, for example, when Edith came back and the girls had disappeared, if Edith had been molested and he says... He says like I She's intact. She's intact and like I check I checked that. Yeah. And I examined her and she's intact. Which, uh, which is yeah, what? that weird and off putting, but I also think so in, so important to the story too, because even though it would be awful if these girls had been molested, it would also as a, an audience member let you sort of have some relief because you know that sort of story, you know that's okay. They've been molested. There's bad people out there. That's a bad story. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that story. But the fact that they ha- there's no sign at all of them. Well, I guess it doesn't. It's not. I don't think it provides comfort as such. But it, no, it doesn't provide. It provides like the. It maintains the ambiguity. That's it. Or it maintains the mystery. I, yeah. Sorry, I was trying to say that if it turned out they had been molested, there would be sort of a level of comfort as the audience would sort of be like, oh yeah, this is about one of those outback murderers. Like yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's probably that guy who was obsessed with Miranda. Yeah. 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 Whereas this keeps it open in just like. Well, man, well, it's not that then. Yeah. What, what is it? And you're it? like, it's not him. And But you do think of like, is it him? Is it not him? Because mm. he's he becomes so obsessed with going to find them. And part of me is like, is that a guilty conscience? Mm. But um, it's not. Like, no. not for me. Um, but it could be. But it could be. And that's the best bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's other moments like when she, Mamzelle gets some flowers from the girls as they leave and she presses them. And I just thought there's something in this particular atmosphere in this particular film after we've gone through this whole mystery there's something really um really violent about pressing flowers mm. like yeah but it again it's, it's another one of those things in this movie that just works so well as a layer when you're taking a flower and pressing it and you're sort of capturing it and it's in its beauty and its prettiness isn't this exactly what's happened yeah. to miranda she will forever time. be yeah in um i keep calling him william but michael's memory as this beautiful sort of vision that he saw yeah. and he never really understood and yeah. it's the pressing flowers it's yeah. the, it's just everything in this film just seems so incredibly well thought out i'm not sure if it was but it's worth <laughs> like you know i always worry about that when i talk about a movie i'm like oh that means that and like no nah, it's just a, but also just i love that that's yeah. why i love doing this kind of analysis because it, it means that to me so mm. therefore that's it you don't that's have just, to have a finite answer yeah for your interpretation I think the other thing that's sort of, I guess, enticing about this film too is sort of all of it is really quite sexual to a degree too. Yeah. You get that vibe, sort of every sort of conversation that's going on is sort of that, I guess, prepubescent idea of, you know, ooh, what's going on? Like, what is this? With the girls? With the girls. I think that very first conversation between Michael and Albert too, there's there's sort of a level of sexual tension. he's like saying... Oh, between but, them? Yeah, when, when he goes over to share the beer, he starts off by when he gets off at the beer, he rubs yeah. it before he drinks it again. Then then he doesn't, and it's very much... And he looks at him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and smiles. Uh, you feel like you, you feel like there's romance. Well, you don't think Albert's interested, but I very much feel like Michael's interested in Albert. Really? At that stage. And when they're talking about the girls, and Albert's like, aren't you feeling this too, Michael? And he's like, oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you not I didn't really get feel that. that at all? No. Yeah. I don't know if it was... Um, yeah, I don't know. It would be great no. if someone's done a queer reading of this. I'm sure yeah, they have. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd, oh, well, I think the infatuation yeah. of Sarah and, and Miranda. And Miranda. For sure. There's, mm. there's definitely, you know, something to look into there. All of it. The intact. The, yeah. The, the sort of the conservative and then the bubbling under the surface sort of stuff as well. Dark, is like, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's part of what adds to that mysterious too is yeah i think it's a weirdly kind of sexual film yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean the corset thing you know mm. they don't have oh miss um miss mccraw we didn't mention this but when eventually edith tells the policeman that she saw she actually she, ugh, she actually saw miss mccraw heading up the rock as she was running screaming down yeah. after the girls had disappeared 
and she didn't have her pants on. Mm. Or she didn't have her skirt on. She was just wearing underwear. Or drawers, yeah. yeah. And that's another one that's sort of like put out there. You're like, oh, here's a clue. But yeah. it's not. It's, it's, just, not. <laughs> it's just a, it's a floating thing. And I think that's, yeah. that's definitely part of it in a weird kind of way. Yeah. Um, what a film. Mm. I don't think I've got much more to say. Oh, there was just these beautiful shots of the girls from The Rock's perspective. Mm. does that make sense and not just the girls um, firstly the girls as they're going up and exploring and you, you're from as the viewer you are in the darkness in this crevasse right in a crevice in the crack in the rock yeah. and you kind of have this tunnel and you just see these girls walking past and kind of looking in briefly and looking around in their white dresses and they're kind of lit by the sunlight and it's this contrast of dark and light which is really really beautiful just from an aesthetic point of view but also gives you the idea that something's watching or like someone's watching mm. and then they do the same thing when michael and um, albert, albert uh, go up yeah. and start to look for the girls as well they have those same shots from i guess it's a higher angle looking down at the characters and from inside of a crevice which those shots was just so beautiful yeah and creepy yeah again all of it is just so perfectly put together to yeah. build, build the atmosphere and and I just don't see why a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds did not understand that. <laughs> no, especially when it, oh, yeah. No, we, we get it. We get it because it wasn't a Vine. Oh, sorry. It wasn't a TikTok. Well, they didn't have TikTok back then. Yeah, they had Vine. Vine, had, no, I don't Vine and TikTok are the same thing, right? I don't fucking know. I never knew what a Vine was back then. It's just a short video. Younger. So TikTok is essentially just another Vine, like platform to do yeah. Vines. But now they're called TikToks. Yeah. We should reinvent one. After TikTok dies, we'll get on we'll it. We'll get on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is It is a slow burn. Um, which is the best kind is the best of thing, burn. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you going to do? Oh, wait. Special features. I mean, like I said before, it didn't have any, but I did watch the, the trailer. Yeah. Did you watch the trailer? Uh, no. I watched the trailer. It went for about five years. Yeah. Um, Classic. It was the, <laughs> it was the 1970s trailer. trailer. It was the longest trailer. Why come see watched. the film when you can watch the Literally, full film? Legitimately, mm-hmm. it was the whole film condensed yep. into five minutes. Mm-hmm. It was not a trailer. No. But one of the special features that isn't really a special feature, but I loved it in this film is uh, in this DVD is when I put it in the DVD player. And I was just sitting on the menu. Did you see this? I, does this happen on yours? Where oh. it's, it looks like a photo, but her hair is just slowly floating. I didn't notice. And her dress is just slowly floating. Yeah. Everything else is completely still. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And there's that haunting music playing over the top. And I liked that. Yeah. My DVD experience with it is just, this was an Umbrella Entertainment release. Yep. Which is an Australian DVD release company. But from my like teenage days i always knew as soon as you saw the umbrella one that it was going to be something weird oh like really they, they just released weird stuff and probably cheap stuff that they can get the distribution rights for but yeah. i kind of was just like anytime i saw that i was like all right yeah this is it let's lock in they yeah. used to have they've got different ones for australian and for horror and for any with this little umbrella guy that gets killed or goes around on a hill's hoist like he does in this oh <laughs> um, yeah um i remember on, seeing umbrella dude but yeah yes now, on SBS On Demand, they actually have, like, little documentaries on the making of Picnic Hang, like, oh, that feel like special features. That's cool. I was looking to try and watch this on... Um, we've only got air conditioning in one room of our house, so <laughs> I was going to try and watch it For context, on a small it's been screen. 40 degrees over yeah. the last two days. <laughs> um, so I was trying to find it. It's not on the stand. It's not on Netflix. So I tried SBS On Demand. It's not there, but it did sort of have, like, special features for... <laughs> Yeah. Wait, so also the movie isn't, yeah. but it has these special yeah. features, yeah. But you could watch it on your DVD. Yeah, so I ended up watching it on my DVD. Oh, but there's no air conditioning warm. in that room. Well, oh. there is, it just meant that I had to boot my wife out of the oh. room. <laughs> She's very patient with you. <laughs> Only 490 yes. left to go. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, but, yeah, what are we going to do with it? What are you going to do with yours? What, I'm 100% going to keep it. Yeah, mine actually forms part of a box set of... Oh. Um, Classic Australian cinema. Cool. So, look, like we've done with tons, ones from box sets of mine in the past, it's the, the like a vote for keeping the box set or a vote for, I guess, against. This is a vote for keeping the box set. 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's one that I think you need to watch. Just, mm. just watch it. Yeah. Just go watch it. 
It is. Maybe, you know, if you can't get surround sound in a... You can't watch it in a cinema, essentially, or you don't have a, a your own yeah. movie room, just put your headphones on, get your laptop, sit on your bed, and do it that way. Yeah. That's it. Just get into it. Very much so. Total well, agreeance. I know. What great once. content. How boring. <laughs> um, um, is that it? That's it. Great. We didn't actually talk about Picnic and Hanging Rock got remade recently oh, as a yes. miniseries. Did you watch a it? Mini- I didn't watch it. No, we also either. didn't talk about the um, stage show, oh, yeah. which we both went to see. Yeah. That was... Ran into each other yeah. at the show. <laughs> yeah. How embarrassing. Leave our <laughs> act to get away from. <laughs> it's just funny that we didn't communicate about yeah. that. <laughs> Why didn't we talk about it? The, yeah. the production, like it's been adapted a bunch of ways or it's been incorporated into mm. I remember reading books about it at, at high school like books that were even inspired by it or had references to it. It's very much become it, a part of our it, it feels cultural, like, yeah, pop culture, a history. Modern Australian folk story. Yes. Really is, yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. It's gone beyond ownership of um, Peter Weir. Yeah. And oh, Joan Lindsay. Joan Lindsay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you know. She wrote it over two weeks. Far out. Yeah, she said it came to her in dreams and she just couldn't stop writing. Spooky dreams. Yeah, I know. Um, stage show was excellent. It was a Malthouse production, so yeah. of course... It got, you know... Pretty weird. Yeah, people had to get nude at some point as this contractually (laughs) obliged. Um, And there's a weird trampoline. Yeah. I didn't love it because I think I just love the film so much. I don't think anything's Mm. ever going to... That's why I haven't watched the TV series. series. I was kind of... I don't know. Annoyed. I haven't seen the series, but I really wouldn't mind seeing a modern adaptation of this story. As in a modern, like literally modern day. Yeah. Yeah. But they they did it. They set it back in the 1900s again. Yeah. Um, Which is fine. Do Maybe it. that's your calling. That's it. Yeah, I'll get onto it. Quit teaching now. Yeah, yeah. I will. I'm just going to... Yeah. If that eight-year-old can start making their own version, you can fucking Martin do Scorsese it. Martin made his first film when he was 28. Oh, mm. you're fine. Yeah. You have tons of time. His first real film. Did he do anything before that? Was he a teacher? Yeah, he used to teach <laughs> maths and physics. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Oh, my God. The clock stopped. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up here. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to keep it. You're going to keep it. It's great. Everyone should buy a copy Definitely and keep go it. go watch it. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not on any of the streamers. I know. Because it's too good. It's too good for the streamers. That's so weird it's not on any of the streamers. Go yeah. buy it, guys. Um, but next week we're going to do another classic, I guess. A best not, picture not winner. Not an Australian classic. Our first oh, yes, best you, picture winner. Our first best picture winner that we've done. Oscars week. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. In the lead up to Oscars. So that's Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. A movie I've never seen. Yep. And if you start watching it now, you will have just finished watching it by the time next week rolls around. That is around. so true. <laughs> it's an epic. It's an epic. <laughs> All right. But thanks again for watching. Uh, watching? Yeah. I, the I, movies we recommend. I like to think someone just sits there and watches that screen of the DVD cutter logo <laughs> for the whole podcast. <laughs> thanks again for listening. Um, we're so happy to be back for 2020 mm-hmm. and um, we'll see you next week. That's it. Follow, like, subscribe at DVD Clutter. Bye. Bye.